Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another Matches of the Week episode. Joining me, as he always does, is Ethan Moskowski. Ethan, last week, our match picks turned out to be total duds. And you absolutely jinxed that (laughs) Virginia-Miami match. I called it on the episode last week. Do you think we can do better this week? I hope so. Look, everyone has the advantage of the fact that I am now 0 for 3 when picking UVA, but the teams that we're talking about this week are not UVA. It's a quiet weekend for for UVA, so I don't think I'll be jinxing any teams, though I might be jinxing match quality, maybe. I know. Now we just have a running trend where if you get featured on matches of the week, like it's going to be a blowout one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. I was really surprised that that Virginia Miami match was the blowout that it was. I, you know, we went through the match calculus. I was really surprised. We did predict, however, that the, the lineup change would occur, which did occur. Yes. With the UVA women, which I do think was a part of why maybe our match calculus and our predictions of it being a tight match went so horribly wrong. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll blame that. Yeah, we'll blame that. It would have made it closer. Yeah. I, I think there's Five, a strong argument of six, for that. One. Well, no, but also matches being done when you clinch and super sure, tiebreakers sure. and all that. Super tiebreakers count. Those counts as wins. I'm not trying to devalue anyone's third set super tiebreaker wins, but it changes the whole pressure equation a lot. The level of effort you see, you see people tank super tiebreakers relatively often. So I'm just saying, it, it, you know, if that match goes longer. All right, we're trying to rationalize a horrible performance by the Virginia women in Miami. Let's while we're on the women, let's just jump in, right? We have two matches this week. This is your favorite, an SEC focused pod. These are great matches, and we're excited to dive into them. On the women's side, we have a top five match. We have number four Georgia at number two Texas AM. This is a Sunday match, 1 p.m. So we'll go through kind of our normal way to talk about these. We'll talk about why we chose this match as a match of the week. We'll do a little feature on each team. We'll talk Georgia. We'll talk Texas A&M. We'll get into lineup projections, and then we will make predictions. So when you think SEC women's tennis, you know, over the decades, Florida probably comes to mind, as does Georgia. But when you just look at the past few years, Georgia and Texas A&M have really been the two teams that have been the cream of the crop really since, you know, post COVID years. So in 2021, Georgia, they go through, they do an undefeated SEC season, 2022, Texas A&M undefeated SEC season, both teams in those respective years capture the regular season title and the conference title. And here we are. Yes, I was gonna say and make national semifinals. I'm pretty sure we're final four teams both years. Uh, not true. Uh, uh, both lost in the quarterfinals. Oh, I just remember the Georgia women beating the UVA women, but that, that was the was round the of 16. Went back to the round of 16 exactly. at the final site. Yes. I got and then Texas A&M lost apologies. to Oklahoma in the quarterfinals last year. So very similar records though. They, who did yes. Oklahoma beat in the semifinals last year? Duke. 
Oh, I totally forgot that Duke was there at all. Sorry. Sorry, Duke. Yes. <laughs> uh, so very similar records, right? They run through an undefeated SEC season. They fall in the NCAA quarterfinals. Here we are, 2023, both teams undefeated in the SEC. Look, this is a battle for the top of the SEC. They play in the SEC final last year. And we're going to play in the SEC final this year. In most likely. Yeah, but yeah. it's really a battle for number one in the SEC. Yep. When you look more broadly outside the SEC, I mean, you have a bunch of non-North Carolina teams fighting for that number two position. And after indoors where Texas A&M falls to North Carolina in the semifinals, which was a very closely contested match, I think Texas A&M surprised a lot of people at their strength against North Carolina in that match. They have held on to that number two position. You know, they've vacillated in ranking, but I think in spirit, they have been the number two team. Yeah. But now we enter this match. Texas A&M has lost their number two singles player in Carson Brandstein. I think it levels the field a little bit in terms of who is that number two team. And I think we'll find out a lot from this match. Yeah. So in my view, if Georgia wants to call itself the next, you know, the number two contender. We all know UNC is the number one contender to win a national title. But this is sort of like, it feels like a title eliminator sort of match. It's like, if you want to put yourself in the position to say, we are the number two, we're the next, we're the next favorite. If you look past UNC and you say best of the rest, if Georgia wants to be in that conversation, they have to win this match. Texas A&M, I actually think, Yes, they've now been, you know, the injury changes the equation here. Carson's injury changes the equation here. But Texas A&M proved that they're in that conversation because they had the indoor result. If Georgia, you know, Georgia came out of what we probably think was, it was a tricky part of the draw, but it was the non-UNC half of the draw, which was why they got to the finals, right? But Georgia has two losses to UNC. You know, they and in I, in my view, in neither one of those matches did it look like Georgia was nearly Texas AM was close to beating UNC. I thought when they played it indoors, Texas AM was was within striking distance of beating UNC. Yeah, I didn't was think always that a Georgia, yeah, I didn't think that Georgia really scared UNC in either of the matches that they played. And so, if Georgia wants to put itself into the conversation of hey, we deserve the opportunity to, to compete with UNC for a national title, this is a must win match. You know, totally this agree. is if Georgia can't beat Carson or uh, a Carsonless Texas A&M, but you know Texas A&M down their second best player. How much of a national title contender is Georgia real? Yep, perfectly said. Let's stay on the topic of Georgia. Let's just kind of briefly summarize their season to date. You talked about at indoors, they're fourteen and three on the season. All of those losses have come indoors they lost to ohio state in columbus they lost uh at north carolina and then they played north carolina at indoors but they haven't lost a match since uh some of their best wins include iowa state auburn tennessee stanford pretty diverse crew i would say of top 15 teams and so they've continued that momentum from making the national indoors final they've carried it really well outdoors when you look at the strength of this team it certainly is not doubles. And this has been like very surprising to me that they have not been able to figure out some better doubles combinations. They only have one team that is meaningfully above a 500 record. And that team is only winning two thirds of their matches. Yeah. And the weirdest thing to me about this doubles configuration is Leah Ma, their number one singles player, who is arguably playing the best tennis in the country right now. <laughs> 
she doesn't play doubles. It's very yeah, which is weird. weird. When was the last time we saw something like that? I mean, we've seen the best player in the country play like three doubles. We've sure. seen, you know, a very high level player play a lower spot in the doubles lineup, but like out and out, we have six doubles players better than our best singles player, who, like you said, is one of the hottest players in the country right now. We have six players on our team who are better doubles players, but we can't win a doubles point. Yeah. Yeah. And at we, a certain yeah. point, at a certain point, you'd think they'd try it, right? Like, like, hey, let's maybe try Liam again in doubles because, you know, our doubles point's not that good and we have somebody with this much capability and talent sitting there for that 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, she played doubles in 2021. She didn't play in 2022. She's not playing at all in 2023. The only explanation I can think of is that she refuses to play. Is there any, is there any other... I mean, reason the only, she would not be playing. So in my view, the only other reason that she might not play is if there's some, you know, I don't want to say injury concern, but it's a usage concern. It's a, you know, it's a, we don't want this player playing a three set singles match and a seven, six tiebreaker. You know, you don't have any control over it. That's the thing about tennis. It's an untimed sport. So if there's a concern about her engine or her ability to play the longest match in doubles and the longest match in singles do you sit her for doubles saying hey we need to make sure that she you know she has all the gas left in the tank in the third set of a singles match that we might need in a fourth three match that would be the only thought i had other than she's just saying i'm not playing doubles right if if it's not her it's got to be some health concern engine concern because there's no way it's capability Right, there's no way they have six doubles players. Yeah. There's no way they have six players on that team that are better at doubles than Liam. Yeah, I they, refuse to believe that. Well, they don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's an engine thing, but then you're thinking, well, she's not not playing singles, even in some of their softer matches. Well, you, and also, that's a fixable problem. You can improve one's engine. Like, you can get cardiovascularly more capable so that you can play. For, like, it, it, it defies logic that there's their best player, who is, everybody knows right now, Liam Ma is their best player. And they're struggling with a doubles point, And they're like, nah, that's not a solution we yeah. will turn to. If it's I mean, not out, refu- out and out refusal, it's got to be a health or injury. Yeah, I think concern. that's it. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I'd love to find out why. It's, it's <laughs> pretty perplexing because it is such a weak spot for this team. Because when you look at singles, they've been so solid particularly at the top of the lineup to be if they're not winning doubles points well you know leah Mashi's dropped one match this season she's 11 and one dasha vibinova at number two she's 12 and two mel riasco she's 12 and four she really struggled indoors all of those losses those four losses happened indoors now where they get a little things get a little tricky for them as the bottom half of this lineup you have uh, the freshman lapata she's five and oh at four you have Meg Kowalski four and two at five, and Gigi playing at six is four and two. Now the big notable absence here is Anya Hertel, who played number five at indoors. She's been out for you know basically since indoors, not playing in singles. So all of those records that I listed there for you know four, five, and six are a little truncated because those are their uh, lineups in their new positions, but. Overall, that's the Georgia team. Definitely a team that's riding momentum from indoors, having a resurgent season. Um, any other thoughts on this Georgia team? We 
I just think this is a prove it match. Like that's yeah. really how I feel about about this Georgia team is is you know when you look at where they're ranked, right? A lot of the other teams around them are either operating off of hey, we've had results now that have proved our capability or you know we're UNC or we're Pepperdine and you know what to expect from us because you know what we're capable of at these spots. Georgia's in that sort of we want to we want to say like hey we know what they're capable of but also they've sort of done the thing where they beat everybody that they're better than and they haven't yet beat somebody that we go that would be you know this is a toss up tight tight match I, I feel like we've seen Georgia beat the teams that we would probably pick them to beat and we've seen them lose to UNC twice and we've seen them lose to Ohio State on the road and Ohio State on the road indoors is uh, completely albatross environment to yeah. everything else that you see in college tennis. Yeah. So this is an opportunity for them to beat somebody in their league. Like you're, you're now punching against people who are in your weight class. Mm-hmm. If you can do it, you're in the hunt for, you know, a national championship match. Yep. If you yeah. can't do it against a team in a Texas A&M, I'm sure that we're about to get to, that's a little beat up. How capable are you really of competing for a national title? It begins to raise questions, I would say. Yep. Yeah. A prove it match. And I would also say a potential inflection point because Georgia still has tricky matches left on their SEC schedule. They still face a really frisky Florida team. Texas A&M, it's a little downhill after this for Georgia, uh, for Texas A&M in the SEC. And so, you know, you could see this going really positively for Georgia and like riding that momentum to an SEC or it could regular spiral. season title yeah. or it could spiral yeah. and Texas A&M is kind of walking away with it. So very interested to see how this Georgia team shows up again. Their strength here is one through three. Um, and then they have, um, you know, a veteran there down in Meg Kowalski. But let's shift gears to this Texas A&M team who we talked about it has been holding that kind of number two mantle all season long. They're 19 and one. They just have one loss. Uh, that was the loss to North Carolina at the national indoors resume so far. They've beaten Ohio state twice, beat Miami, beat Auburn, beat Florida twice, you know, solid collection. I would say probably not as a diverse resume as Georgia, but ultimately they've been able to get some of those wins, particularly that Miami win without Carson Brandstein. So it's not like this is the first tough test uh, yeah. without Carson. Um, overall, what have you made of their season? I mean, I think you're right. Georgia's had a more diverse sort of field of competition, but the most impressive part about Texas A&M at indoors wasn't who they beat. It was how they beat them. Like the Ohio state team, the Ohio state women's team came into indoors. One of, if not the hottest team in the country, like they'd been on a complete bender role and Texas A&M, sorry, stomped them into the ground. Like it was a beat down, like. It was you you looked at the first set scores and you're like, oh, the match is over. Yeah. Like there's there's no way Ohio State's coming back here. And it was that that was how Texas A&M sort of earned all of our trust as a team was it was the way that they were beating people. It was dominating except against UNC. And they were the really they're the only team in the country so far that it appears as though they've kind of scared UNC. Like like they put UNC in a position where UNC had to come up with the goods in a big moment or UNC was going to lose. Nobody else has done that to UNC. Now, this is, I would say, yes, they have the win against Auburn, but this is the first serious real test post, you know, 
Carson injury. I, I think this is a yes, they beat Miami. Yes, they but we're do is are the Miami women are they a national title contender? No, but I mean they're still a real is, test. I is, mean, is how Auburn, high in the rankings do we need to go a, for a real test? This is a legit if they manage to beat if they manage to beat uh Georgia without Carson, mm-hmm. this Texas A this Texas AM team is the real deal, and it's a tragedy that Carson's hurt. Yeah, you basically year. say, Wow, like, this team is number two like, with or without their second best player. They are the real deal if they pull this, if you know, if they manage to pull this off, because this is the next level up. Like you and Gruskin sure. love doing your tiers of like national championship contender, next level. The other teams, the Auburns, the Miamis that they've played post, you know, post Carson's injury are not in the tier one national title contender category. They're in the next tier. Georgia is, right? Like Georgia is, as far as we're concerned today, they're yeah. in that category of like teams we expect to see the last couple of days of NCAAs. So if they manage to pull this off down, you know, one of their two or three best players, the Sex A&M team is the real deal. Like they, mm-hmm. they're, they're coming up with the goods in big moments against great teams down a player. Like this is a, this is a, it's a prove-it match for them as well, in a way. Yeah. And what's interesting about the absence of Carson Brandstein, obviously, whenever you lose your number two singles player, moves everyone up the lineup. But the biggest blow is probably in doubles because Brandstein yeah. was partnering with you know, Mary Stoana at the number one position. They were undefeated there at number one. And one of the big challenges here with Carson's absence has been having to reshuffle the deck when it comes to doubles lineups. They've been having to repair people. And that's a challenge to do that midway through the season. So that's a big question mark for this AM team to figure out if they can find the pairings uh to be as successful because they took that doubles point against North Carolina, right? If they were going to beat North Carolina NCAAs, you assume it has to happen through doubles. So that's something I'm watching out for for this team. Yeah. And look, they're I think they're beginning to figure it out. They came up with the goods against Auburn. They won that doubles mm-hmm. point. They did lose the doubles point to Miami, but most recently we've seen them play Auburn. They won the doubles point. They had good results, more or less up and down the lineup in, in singles. So maybe they're going to figure this out, right? It wouldn't be unusual to see a, an injury like this completely turn you know turn a season on its head we've seen it with teams in the past where they lose a you know even if it's not carson's out for the year right Right. but we've seen you know the unc men a few years ago won won a indoor title looked like the best team in the country and then it was sort of just like the team caught the injury bug and they were never the same even once they were all back in the lineup for the ncaa tournament they just they weren't the same team so this is a good opportunity to get a sense of whether Texas A&M is going to go the route of, Hey, we, you know, we're not as good as we would have been obviously had Carson been here, but we're figuring this out and you should still take us very seriously. Or if this is going to slip the other way and we're going to kind of have to, you know, go, Oh, you know, what a, what a tragedy of a lost season because they never figured out, you know, how the direction to go post Carson. This is, this is the first moment we're going to get insight into kind of which route Texas A&M is taking. Yeah, I, I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think we've gotten good signal that this team is extremely well, resilient good without Carson. Resilient, good without Carson, absolutely. But now, it, are they still they unequivocally the second title. best team? Yeah, they want to be a national title contender. They thought like they they thought they were a national title contender last year, and they thought all of us ignored them and wrote them off. 
And unfortunately for them, they lost the big match. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can go back and have all the conjecture you want on Texas A&M season last year, but they had the opportunity to beat Oklahoma at NCAAs and they didn't do it. And so we were all validated in writing them off. This year, they came out and they proved that they were a different team and they were worthy of our conversation as being a national title contender. Now they're short Carson. This is the opportunity for them to say, doesn't matter. We're still, you know, we're still in that conversation, which is what they want. They don't want to be told that they're a top eight team. They know they're a top eight team and they've been told they're a top eight team before. Yeah. This was about taking a step forward. And now it's a question of, can they do that without Carson? And I think this is a match where we're going to get a sense of, are they still a step forward from where they were last year? Or are we sort of watching a rerun of last year where maybe they're a quarterfinal team, maybe they win one more round, but it's going to be tough. We're going to yeah. we're going to find out this weekend. So let's talk about the players on this A&M team who have stepped up, you know, with or without Carson. You know, Carson was playing at number two. You have Mary Stoyana, the sophomore who is undefeated. Nothing changes for her at yep. number one singles. No change for her. She's been excellent for the Aggies, both in singles and doubles. You know, she's. 13 and one. She's lost one match. And that one match was at number two singles. The other player that has been outstanding for them is freshman Mia Kupris. Overall, she's 14 and one moving up to that number three position. Now for them, she's seven and zero. So they have two positions right now at one and three where they're undefeated. So those are two extremely solid singles positions that they feel really confident in moving forward. Now things get a little bit funky elsewhere. So Salma Ewing, the transfer from you know USC, who was playing number three, she was six and one there moving up to the two position in Carson's absence. That's been a tough transition. She's two and five there at number two. JC Goldsmith, fifth year senior moving from five to four. She's seven and two. I think you still feel really confident with her despite yeah. some of her recent losses. Correct me if I'm wrong. JC Goldsmith played four for Texas A&M last year. Yeah, she did. I'm pretty sure she played yes. four for them last year yes. and was great. So yeah, and lost like two matches. Yeah. So, so there's reason to believe she's going to be okay. Yeah, you don't have any doubts about her at four. The record yeah. just isn't quite as sterling polished as yeah. uh, undefeated Stoyana and Kupris. Yep. Now at the bottom of the lineup, you have freshman um, Darius Metnikov, who was the highs have been high. Yeah, the highs have been high and the high winning, you know, that the match yep. against North Carolina beating Annika Yarlagata there playing excellent tennis and has struggled since has yeah. taken a lot of losses moving up to the five spot. She's three and two. And outside of Salma Ewing, who has the losing record there at two, this is a vulnerable spot for them. Um, and in her moving up, they've brought in Jeanette Morales at number six, who played number six for this team last year. Very solid. She's seven and one. And, and sometimes when you lose a player to, to injury, sometimes that first up person, you know, it can sometimes be a weight off their back because now they know you're in, yep. you're up, yep. you're playing every day. You got to be match ready. She's really, you know, stepped up to, to the call. Yeah, and it can be a transition, and this is where for them, you know, I wanted to highlight that that JC Goldsmith is back in the spot that she was in last year. This this is the best case scenario if you're going to take one of these injuries to know that the person who's sliding up into that six spot has been there before. That was her 100%. spot. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, it makes the transition a lot easier if you're moving up into the six spot, having never been in that spot having being a being a first year or being a seven the previous year and now being a six 
there's a transition, right? Like there's a serious transition and you're going to expect bumps and bruises. Her record is suggestive of, you know, you don't have to expect bumps and bruises from me. I've been here before I've done this. I'm going to be okay. And that's, that is as, that's the best thing you can ask for. If you're going to take a serious injury like this is you're relying on players who you've had to rely on in the past and who performed for you. Yep. Totally agree. It's a really good point that she's been able to step into that position. You know, she has that experience. And so you still look at this lineup on paper and, you know, if you remove the knowledge that they're missing their number two player, it's a darn good. Still team. looks, still uh, looks like a top eight team, it right? Definitely does. So that's sort of like the lineups, the strengths, the weaknesses of some of these teams. Lineup projections. We talked through what they've been playing. I don't think there will be any changes outside of what we have talked through. I have two questions, though. The first is that do we see Anya Hertel play for Georgia? She's been factoring into doubles at some points. That's going to be a big question for Georgia, right? They're going to need her if they, I think if, they're going to need her just in, yeah. in this match it, down the line to be a national title contender. They will absolutely need her given the struggles they have had down low in that lineup. I want to pose you one potential lineup challenge. If I'm Georgia. Okay. I think whoever I'm challenging play, two, three, you're challenging two, three. No, I'm going to give you a, a, a proposition. So okay. if I'm Georgia and I'm looking at this, I like either. Dasha Vidmanova or Mel Riasco over Salma Ewing. Right? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mia Kupris is undefeated at number three. Yep. I would rather Dasha Vidmanova play Mia Kupris at number three, who I think is arguably, you know, one of the so best players in the country. So you're saying flip Riasco, play Riasco at two. My question is, do you think Georgia could get away with playing Riasco at two, who has not lost since indoors, She's 12 and four overall above Dasha Vidmanova, 12 and two. Morally, do I think they could get, a, do I think they could get away with it? Do I could think they, they get, get away, away with, with it? it? Yes, it's wrong. Like it's not, it's not <laughs> their right lineup, but we just spoke about this with UV with the UVA women last, last week for 15 minutes. It's, it's not the right lineup. Okay. Like, we all it, agree. We all agree. It's yeah. the wrong lineup. But here's the other thing I would say about that. Salma Ewing's not been great. Okay. Like, you know, and this is becoming a common thread with these transfers who play really high in the lineup as fifth-year transfers, in particular, Mm -hmm. as fifth-year transfers. It's more of a transition than I think a lot of people expect. And there are outliers, and there there are spots here or there where we lose sight of that. But we've seen on a couple of different teams with a couple of different players that it's not always the easiest thing to make that transition and go from top of the lineup to top of the lineup a lot of the most successful transfers we've seen in this COVID era have been the ones who've been playing four, five, and six, not the ones who've been playing one, two, and three. I I, I would 100% I'd stand by that. Um, But Salma Ewing is capable of being a top end player in the country in the top of of a lineup. Like there's no doubt the capability is there. My only concern, if you're if you're Georgia and I tell you Salma Ewing is gonna be is gonna have her best day, who do you want to play Salma Ewing? But that's I mean that's a straw man because Salma Ewing has no, not had her best days. But I think Georgia, not to preview my projections too much, I think Georgia's gonna really need that match. Like I think Georgia's gonna need to win on court two. 
Well, that's a, it's, like, a, it's a must-have It's a win. must have match. It's a must-have match. I'm saying they could get it with Riasco or Vidmanova. You're saying that... Yeah, if they happen to lose it with Riasco and... Then that's a Cooper's killer. Happens, and Cooper's happens to beat Vidmanova because well, Cooper's... That's a double killer. <laughs> but Cooper's is that good. Like, we should not say that if they flip Riasco and, and Vidmanova, it's a it's a slam dunk that Vidmanova's beating Cooper's. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't I don't think that's a slam dunk. Yeah, that no, would I, be my argument is take the win where you have it. Yeah, like take take your win on two. Do not risk your win on two, knowing that you could lose on three either way, because Cooper's is that good. Totally is that good. the yep. smarter thing to do, in my opinion, if you're if you're uh, Georgia is mm-hmm. just challenge Cooper's playing three, like keep your lineup as it is. Yeah. And force them to make the adjustment like that would if I'm the Georgia coach, I'm keeping my lineup the way it is. I'm taking Vidmanova against Ewing if I get the opportunity. And I'm trying to compel them to change their lineup. I'm laughing because I like totally twisted myself into a pretzel to be like, let me think of this morally objectionable, never going to happen thing <laughs> when you're so yeah. right. <laughs> like Ewing is two <laughs> like, and five at two. Cooper yeah. is seven and no. A challenge. Yes. Make them play Cooper yeah. at two. You're so right. Yes, exactly. Make them play Cooper at two. And then you're in the position where. Look, Riasco should beat Salma Ewing. Like there, we that's the underlying assumption here is that Riasco is going to beat Salma Ewing. And if you want to take the shot at Vidmanova beating uh beating Coopers, do it on your terms. Force them to play Coopers at two. Yeah. Like, this is yeah, I mean <laughs> Ewing is six and one at three. It would be difficult, but you're right. That would be the much easier solution. Um, but ultimately, <laughs> I, I don't think any of that happens. I think everything that we talked about. Uh, is going to kind of go by the book. So that yep. brings us to projections or predictions. Give it to me. Playing in I, College Station Sunday I afternoon. I really want, what do we all want? What's the like the ideal outcome for this match? I'm not saying who wins, but what's, what, is the, what is the ideal outcome? for Because to me, it's really clear. Well, we I all think want, we want a 4-3 ending but, here. We want, but in particular, we want a third set on court one mm, yeah four three like that's that's what we want to see yeah. right we all want to see a four three nail biter finish on court one liam has been hot as a pistol yeah oh, it's mary stoyana she hasn't mary, lost mary stoyana's not lost liam has been hot as a pistol we want to see that match decide who wins this match like to me that's agreed that's, that's the yeah. that's the perfect outcome here mm-hmm <sighs> I don't know if I see that happening though. Okay. Okay. So here's, hear me out for a second. Mm-hmm. Texas A&M wins a doubles point. Are we? We're on the same page so far. That would be my. I think. Okay. Yeah. So I think Texas A&M wins a doubles point. Yep. I see six and four as being good spots for Texas A&M in this match. I okay. Agree. My concern is that if it is Cupris and Riasco on three, I could very easily see one not being necessary for Texas A&M. Like, I could see this being a 4-2 match with one left out where Texas A&M win dubs 3-4-6, Georgia wins 2-5, and five, and one is abandoned. Yep. And so that's, that's what I'm going with. I'm going with Texas A&M 4-2, one gets left out on court. And... I'll go with who am I going to have clinching for Texas A&M? 
So you have you have Cooper's at three winning, Goldsmith at four winning, and Morales at six winning. Six. That's okay. what I got. Yeah. I, I and I don't know order of play who who goes last. I don't think it's Cooper's if it is Cooper's and Riasco. Uh, maybe Gold. Uh, yeah, I'll go JC clinches on. I'll go four clinches. For, yeah, I for think. Texas A&M. I think that's a really smart prediction. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, and like the, the 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 problem is Kowalski could beat Smetnikov at five. It's going to take forever. Uh, yeah, it's un- and it's unclear if that match actually if if you're if you're Smetnikov, I, like and give it. We've seen what the peak, like the how high the highs have been. Mm-hmm. If I'm Smetnikov's coach, I'm saying swing free, play free, play your game. We have the points. Like mm-hmm. you are insurance for us. If you play your best, you're a point on the board for us. But honestly, you don't don't have to feel the weight of the world in this match. We should be able to win this match without you. Yeah, this especially if they win a doubles point, especially if they win a doubles point. I mean, this is where it's so tough because we just go through these lineups and we talk about the battle for number two. And then when you look on paper, I don't really see Texas A&M losing this match. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to see Texas A&M, especially in College Station. Especially exactly. in college station. And if you're Georgia, the calculus has to be doubles. Like you can't it win this doubles. match without doubles. It's doubles one, two, and five, right? It's doubles, Liam yeah. Ma and Bidmanova. Those two have been locks for them. Yeah. And it's doubles Kowalski, one, your fifth two year. And five. Yeah, doubles one, two, and five. And you you maybe say, hey, you know, maybe we can make things interesting on court four. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm looking for if because I think insurance. as a coach as a coach, as a player who's spent a lot of time on the side doing the match calculus, you're looking for the fifth point in particular. Like if, if we get into a war, I want to have two, I want to have options. Like I want to be up three, two with two courts left on that. I feel like we could win both of. And I think it's a lot easier for Texas A&M to figure in a a fifth point than it is. Like, I think Texas A&M can win this, this match without a double point. I'm not saying I think it's likely but I think they can. I'm not sure Georgia wins this match without a doubles point. And if they win a doubles point, I think they have three singles points. Like I, I just, I don't see them winning on three, four, and six. Yeah, like, I, I think those stretch. are firmly Texas A&M points. Yeah, you start to stretch the realm of logic. Uh, yeah, whereas, you start, whereas yeah. Texas A&M can win on court five. And Texas A&M can win on court one. Mm-hmm. Like, Texas A&M has options, it seems like, at five of their six spots. Yeah. Probably not on court two. Right. But if we were to if we were just going through conjecture purely and saying, no, Texas A&M is gonna, gonna lose the doubles points, but is gonna win one, three, four, and six, that's not like that's not crazy. Yeah. Like all of those points are good points for Texas yeah. A&M. Yeah. You know, no, so they are. it just it feels like the the road is wider for I think that's what we're getting at is the road's a lot wider for Texas A&M than it is for Georgia. The road's wider and it runs through College Station. And so therefore you lean Texas A&M yeah. both going 4 to yeah. All right. We are keeping it in the SEC. We're keeping it with Georgia. Another massive match in the SEC. It's a night match. Number 4 Kentucky at number 8 Georgia Friday under the lights. Maybe not thousand people, five p.m. People. Thousand people. I hope. Uh, look, this is going to be raucous. Exactly everything you want in a college tennis match. If you haven't seen the clips or the images from Georgia's match against Tennessee, it was everything you want in a college tennis match. The 
the the fans were engaged. It was a comeback. It was amazing match, amazing college tennis atmosphere. So I hope we get that again here for this SEC battle. And look, why did we choose this match? One, that atmosphere can't beat it. Second, you know, Georgia right now controls its destiny in the SEC. They are undefeated. So they control their path towards the regular season title. And this one in particular, because of the fact that South Carolina beat Kentucky, but has two losses, not to Georgia. If Georgia wins this match, Georgia is in lack, you know, barring a wild upset. Georgia kind of has the one seed for the SEC tournament pretty locked up yep yep exactly well so if they lose to south carolina but georgia if georgia beats kentucky and loses mm-hmm. to south carolina georgia will have one sec law south carolina will have exactly. yeah there you go two yeah, two yeah. Still have two yeah maybe more because of yeah yeah maybe more you know yeah. it, so obviously upsets can figure in but this match will give us a lot more insight into the hierarchy of sec teams going into postseason play yeah, and these are the two hottest teams in the SEC right now. They're both coming sure. in and riding a seven-match win streak. And I would say both seem to be getting more solid yep. week in, week out. And in the same way that you talked about, you know, Georgia and Texas A&M women being a, you know, are you a number two contender here? I feel that way about this match as well. Because to it's me, a match. it's a prove-it match. It's like, it's a it's a measuring stick. Like, are yep. you in that elite title contender camp? And I yep. think the results of this will tell us probably more about Georgia than I think, yeah. you know, there's just there's high upside on this Kentucky yeah. team. They were the NCAA finalists last year. A lot of these guys have done it before. Not they've already won tough matches. They've won tough matches. Um, so it's a it's a measuring stick for this Georgia team. Uh, any other reasons why you are excited for this match? Court one. <laughs> Court one. Ethan Quinn. I mean, if there's any person in college tennis who wants to go into a raucous, insane road environment, it's Liam Draxel. Like, like this is Liam Draxel lives for this shit. Okay. Yeah. Like, and and it's like this is the Georgia fans should almost be aware of the fact. It's going to be so chirpy right that there. Liam Draxel is going to get better as they do more. Like, I think we've all seen the clips now from the Tennessee Georgia match. And mm-hmm. I do think the crowd had a significant impact in how that match finished. I, I think Tennessee, there were certain players with the Tennessee on the Tennessee side who I think were more, you know, rattled or bothered mm-hmm. or it got to them a little bit. The environment it will not get to liam draxel no liam draxel is i'm sure chomping at the bit he wants as many people on his court as possible all eyes on him like kentucky's a very different beast from a toughness standpoint than i think a lot of the teams georgia has seen so far kentucky is the toughest team georgia has played and I don't mean toughest as in like they're the best team. I mean, they are mentally, they are the toughest team that Georgia has played. They have been there. They've won big matches. They went to Charlottesville and beat UVA. They made a national semifinals at indoors. They have good wins. They, like this is, they're battle tested. They're, they're a, you know, they have inexperience, but they do have experience. Like Kentucky's a tough out. They, yeah. 
We have, we, I will out us. We have referred to Kentucky as cockroaches. They don't die. <laughs> like, yeah. they, they are tough to kill. Well, and this to is... exemplify that, they've won seven, four, three matches this year. Yeah. And what they make lack in some talent in certain spots, they absolutely they... make up for and fight, right? Virginia, Louisville, Duke, USC, Texas A&M, Auburn, Mississippi State, all matches they have won four, three. Right. And they and have, by the way, on the road at home, neutral yep. site, like, yep. Run the gamut. Yep. And their only losses, right. They're 19 and two. Yeah. NCAA finalists, uh, lost TCU, former number one team in the country, you know, and South Carolina. That's yep. it. Uh, everything else, they are finding ways to win. Yep. It, and, and they, the matchups are really interesting here. And I know we're going to get into that in a second, but the yeah. matchups are really, really interesting here. Yeah. So let, well, let's do that in lineup projections. Let's just, we talking about this Kentucky team, you know, surprisingly, one of their strengths this season has been doubles. And yeah. that was, which is a complete reversal from last year where they were, <laughs> sorry, they made a national finals, but for a team that made the, na- they are the worst. They, last year, they were the worst doubles team I can remember to make a national finals. Well, it was a it was a give me. I mean, every team was yeah. winning it. They lost it every single match. Uh, it quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. But they have found pairings, right? And they're yeah. really solid at doubles this year. They have you know Cornell transfer fifth year uh, Alafia Ayeni partnering with another transfer from Wake Forest and Taha Body at number one. They have JJ Mercer and Joshua Lapidot at number two, and then Liam Draxel and Jaden Weeks uh, at number three. I mean, all really strong doubles pairings and that is paying significant dividends because when you have doubles when you have a liam draxel former number one player in the country who thrives in these sorts of collegiate intense atmospheres who's 14 and three he's won his last six matches likes pressure likes pressure and you have joshua lapidot at number three who's 13 and two this season i mean that's three that's three points on the board for this kentucky team that they really like so this has been an impressive performance for the Kentucky team who coming into this season, you questioned, well, how good would they be losing Gab Diallo, right? You know, former NCAA All-American. So they've, they've rebounded. By the way, two, three, and four. They gutted the middle the middle part of their lineup. They lost Gab Diallo. They lost yep. Alan Hurian. They lost uh, Musitali. Like, Musitali, they, yeah. for, for a team to, to lose... 50% of its singles lineup after making a national finals and be right back in the conversation is, is a testament sort of not just to the, the players they brought in, but the coaching, we, they knew they had to find a different route. They yep. knew they were not going to be able to replicate what they did last year because Ayeni's great. Lapidat's been great, but look, they had Josh Lapidat playing five last year. Like right. there's a reason why they were able to make up for the fact that they kept losing doubles points. And it was the fact that they had Gab Diallo playing two and they had Joshua Lapidat, who's this good on court three. three five, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. They knew that they could make up for the lack of a doubles point this year with Lapidat in a more correct position, short one, Gab Diallo playing two freshmen, no doubles point to find margins. So what do they do? Yeah. Fix their doubles point. Right. Yeah. And, and you're seeing that. And that's a testament to the players for putting in the effort to fix a double point, the coaches for having the creativity to, you know, change teams, put two transfers together. It's it's a testament to to everyone's sort of creativity and, and ethic to to figure it out. Yeah. 
So the other players rounding out this singles lineup for Kentucky, you know, we talked about Liam Draxel at one, Lafayette at two, Lopdot at three, Taha Body at four. We have two freshmen in Jaden Weeks and Cosne uh, at at six. They've been splitting kind of time there at the bottom of the lineup. Jaden Weeks six and four at the number five position. Um, Charlelli Cosne at six, five and five. Those two have the worst records on this team, yeah. and it. It has been a challenge for Kentucky to to find wins there at five and six. That's going to be the big Fine. question for this Kentucky team. But I would point out they have come up with the goods when it mattered, right? We talked well, about this team four, overall three, has the four three wins, absolutely four three against Auburn, who clinched. I'm pretty sure it was weeks. Yeah, I remember four three against USC at indoors, or maybe it was four two against USC at indoors. I don't know if the the other match finished, but it was they needed to win. Yeah. on Kuzne's court, and he came up with the goods against Colby. Right. Like, yeah, but th- it when, was, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Oh, maybe he didn't clinch. For maybe USC. he did. They were down 3 2 with two matches left on, mm-hmm. and Merrick lost to Ayeni, and but they needed both the matches, and Kuzne came up with the goods. I'm now I'm, I feel better about what I just said because yeah. I feel like that was right. But yeah, when they needed the first years to come up with the goods, they've come up with the goods. I saw them do it against UVA, broke my damn heart. I, I saw them do it against USC. We've seen them do it against Auburn. So, yeah, it's a growing process, and they're going to get pushed. But, again, and we're going to get to it, part of the reason why this match is so interesting is that the matchups the matchups are very interesting. We we match up kind of strength to strength here All and right. weakness to weakness. So Well, then let's cover this Georgia team who, yes. you know, Kentucky has had a, like a, a sneaky, just like extremely solid season, right? They've only lost two matches. This Georgia team has been anything but. They had a really rough start to the season. They were four and four heading into indoors. They had lost to, you know, Texas, Florida State, Illinois, TCU, uh, you know, USC as well. So they have five losses on the season. They have 12 wins. Their best wins, South Carolina, USC, and Auburn. But they're really carrying a lot of momentum kind of after that. They're getting hot. They're getting hot, right? We saw that with the Tennessee. That's going to carry them a long way. The It's interesting. The weakness right now for this Georgia team is doubles. You know, the Georgia Bulldogs, men and women, they cannot figure out doubles. They're batting 500 when it comes to doubles points. It, it's been a struggle. On the flip side, in singles, you have two really strong spots for this Georgia team. You have Phil Henning at number two. He's 11 and four. He hasn't lost since indoors. And then you have Miguel Perez Pena, the sophomore at number six, who's nine and four. But the resurgent spot I would say here is both Ethan Quinn and Trent Bride. Trent Bride, former number one player for this Georgia team, has struggled last season, making his way kind of down to the bottom of the lineup. Now he's back up to three. And he hasn't lost since indoors either. So a lot of the players on this Georgia team, while the records don't look that impressive, right? You take, for example, Ethan Quinn, eight and eight on the year, former number one player in the country after the fall. He's six and one in the SEC, right? So almost all these Georgia players started slow and they're all kind of rounding into form. Yeah, I think. I think you're seeing a Georgia team that's sort of the hot hand, right? And we know what the environment brings. We know that playing in Athens is a huge advantage for them. 
And it is sort of weird when you evaluate the two teams going, Georgia's in the driver's seat for the SEC. Like, it doesn't feel like Georgia should be in position to win the SEC regular season because their season, sorry, has been kind of a mess. Yeah. Like, they're 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 finding it now. But yeah. when Georgia lost to Illinois on the eve of indoors, it was like, holy crap, this Georgia team's an yeah. absolute disaster strike. Show. Yeah. Like it was, it was like, what is going on here? And then by the way, called it, they beat South Carolina. I did call that go back and yeah. listen to the indoor yeah. indoor prediction pod. I called that just want to put that one out there because my predictions have gotten flamed at the beginning <laughs> of this episode. So I just want to throw that one back out there, but no, like the Georgia teams is, is trending in the right direction. And this is a match for them where, they can get themselves, like we said, in that conversation of being a serious contender. And part of the reason why I think a lot of us still have a lot of faith in this Georgia team is we haven't seen the best of Ethan Gwynn. Like even, yes, he's 6-1 and one in SEC play, but the, the level's still not there. Like the, mm. when you watch it, it's still not the Ethan Quinn we saw in the fall, like just from a quality standpoint. And the one loss is to Johannes Monday, who we view as being one of the cream of the crop players in the country, in the SEC. And it wasn't particularly close. Right. You know, it, and you're going, wow, well, this Georgia team at this point actually has a decent resume of wins. And you're telling me their best players still not playing to his full capability. That makes this Georgia team very intriguing because they're the number eight team in the country and they're still getting better. Um, which we've seen a lot of teams, I think, in the top, you know, in the above them, we've seen what the what the very high end level looks like. Like we've yeah. seen what one of, if not the best version of Ohio State looks like. We've seen what the best version of Texas and TCU looks like. This is a team at eight in Georgia. We kind of know we haven't seen the best version of, yeah. and they're still performing. They're like we're getting the results at a lower level. And so it is enticing to say, well, now what if they start, you know, what if they start reaching that max level? How good are they? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And rounding and I almost emblematic of that, right. Is Blake Croyder, you know, fifth yep. year there who's four and four at the number four spot. Uh, Teddy Juska transfer from Clemson fifth year, five and three at the five spot. You probably haven't gotten the production they were expecting out of either Croyder or Juska, particularly Croyder after his fall campaign, extremely solid and you feel like both of those players can still get a lot better both extremely experienced players so you teased the lineup projections talk to me about kind of the the matchups and why you're so intrigued by these lineups well it's intriguing because first of all number one is like a show-stopping like that's Quinn and Draxel that's those the are the matches that yeah I mean we get super excited about in college tennis yeah. you know senior it versus redshirt freshman doesn't happen all the time that we get these matches you know a lot of times there are lineup shenanigans and people wind up out of position and so we don't get the match that we really want to see we're going to get it like Quinn's going to play one Dracula's going to play one we're going to get mm-hmm. we're going to get that matchup and if it's the best version of Ethan Quinn that match is a complete coin flip like that is a complete coin flip of a match if we get the best version of both players and maybe lean Quinn, but I would say maybe lean Quinn because it's in Athens, but I kind of think that helps Draxel because Draxel <laughs> likes the environment. So it's just a complete coin flip. What makes it interesting is the fact that Georgia's going to need court two and they're going to be a slight favorite on mm-hmm. court two. Yep. Phil Henning versus uh, Lafayette of Kentucky. Yeah. Henning and Annie. 
Court three, four, and five are where I think this gets like super interesting because we've seen the you know Josh Lapidat has has been one of the most solid points in college tennis this year. Yeah, we're seeing Trent Bride become the version of Trent Bride that we kind of always expected him to be, which was reliable, solid, comes up big in big moments, likes playing in front of his crowd. Like mm-hmm. he single handedly, sorry, Phil Henning clinched the match, but. But what Trent Bride made that did possible. to win the second set tiebreaker yeah. against Blaze Bicknell won them that match. Like, 100%. obviously, they literally, they lose that match if he loses that tiebreaker. They were already down 3-1, I think, at that point. But he came up with the goods in the big moment at home. And so you probably lean Lapidat on record and pedigree. But hey, man, Trent Bride's tough to pick against right now. Yeah, on vibes, so, you go Bride. <laughs> so on vibes, you go Bride. But so you go, okay, well, one's a toss-up. Three is leaning into toss-up territory. Body's been solid at times, but has shown cracks. Like we've not seen the dominant Taha body in the last couple of weeks, I'd say. Croider, mm-hmm. we've seen what the level can be. We've also seen we've seen peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of tough to to go uh slam dunk for either of those guys. Well, none of these are slam dunks. I do think this it, one leads. I think court two, I think court two is a slam dunk for Georgia. I, think I do. Court I think two, I think Phil Henning is a slam dunk for Georgia against against Ayani, especially in Athens. I, I have a hard time seeing Ayani beating beating Henning with the level that we've seen from Henning in in Athens. I I I don't figure that. We need like a prob like a, a sureness calculator. Like yes. I'm like most sure about number two, right? And yes. that happens to be going to Georgia. Yeah. The next one. Is, where where would I would you say, say the next most sure I would be would be probably court six also going to Georgia. Okay. I can I can get behind that. I can get behind okay. that. And over then, uh, that's and that's Miguel Perez Pena, the sophomore for Georgia, over, over Carlelli Cosne of uh freshman at Kentucky. Okay. Now all keep in mind in the background here, and we're gonna agree on this, Kentucky's gonna win this doubles point. See, this is where it gets interesting though, because I mean, that's when you feel like the crowd is one at its peak, right? For sure. But I think that's actually the biggest gap in like talent and I quality. Agree. 100%. The biggest gap is is the doubles. So yes. let's just for a second, let's say Kentucky wins doubles. Okay. Georgia's the favorite on two and mm-hmm. on six. Yep. So we're talking about hypothetically two one Georgia. Yep. Four and five are sort of like, I don't know what to make of them matches because Juice has not been great. Weeks has been up and down. Body's been up and down. Kreuter's not been great. Like they're, they're sort of. Yeah. So you they're, probably they're really important matches, but they're, they're huge. You, you split the difference, right? I think yeah, so, so like most likely outcome of that is that it's one and one, one yeah, wins so one, the other one's the other. If you split them, you're at yeah. tentatively three, two Georgia. All right. I'm tracking this. Yep. And then I'm going to go Lapidat, slight favorite over Brian. Okay. And so you're at 3-3. Three, three, yeah. Court one is the decider. <laughs> like, See, and I, by the way, Liam Draxel plays, Liam Draxel plays slow. Very like, slow. Liam Draxel plays very slow and likes a third set. Liam mm-hmm. Draxel fancies a third set and he fancies some attention. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, Liam Draxel looks around 
likes the vibes of being the clincher on the road, breaking thousand, you know, a thousand Georgia fan hearts. I, you know, I don't dislike the idea of a, of a court one decider here. So are we pigeonholing ourselves into repeating last week's performance of predicting really close matches <laughs> Probably. and getting, and getting what will wind up being a like, whatever four one result for somebody mayhaps like it, it is possible that we are walking ourselves into the same trap that we walked ourselves into last week. Because I think the difference with this match is I think we do have four matches that are modified toss-ups, basically. Like, I I do think two and six lean relatively strongly towards Georgia. I do think doubles leans relatively strongly towards Kentucky. And I do think there are four matches that are on a spectrum of toss-ups. And it is possible that a Georgia could win three of those four matches, and this could actually be more routine, or a Kentucky could win three of those four matches, and this could also be routine. None of that is outside of the question, but it's also not outside of the question. Like, it is very possible that all four of those matches are third sets. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it becomes a it becomes a hard match to predict also because Liam Draxel probably prefers to play on the road than at home. Well, you know? so it's like, I don't know about that. Well, but he I likes, think he likes to hurt people's home. feelings. Like Liam Draxel, I'm sure enjoys the 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 what do you, what do you call that? Like visualization. Like he's visualizing clinching against Ethan Quinn and falling down on the court as boos and expletives rain down on him from a thousand Georgia fans that he's just hurt. Like he he, I'm telling you, he enjoys the thought of that happening. Like. That is what is going to get Liam Draxel up for this match is knowing that like he's going to torture a thousand Georgia fans. Like he likes that. Yeah, you don't have to get Liam Draxel up for this match. That's also true. You know, it's interesting. We talked about Kentucky has escaped so many of these matches, right? They're yeah. just coming off a win against a Mississippi State team who was missing two of their six players, and it was still four three. But and that was in that was in Lexington. That was in Kentucky. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. Yes. But when I look at this on paper, and I know we just did the, the calculus, like I like Kentucky and doubles, right? Yep. I, I think Draxel is the favorite going into this match at one. Okay. I think that's fair given what we've seen from Ethan. Yeah. yeah. I, like, Liam I like Lapidot over Bride. And I like Body at four over Croyder. And that's my, those are my four points. The thing is, yeah. is look, it's in Georgia. That doubles momentum, that bride at yep. three. I mean, this is his final. Look, he had a bad season last year. This is his final year. This is the last, you know, go around the track. Emotions and vibes aside. Yeah. Kentucky is the right pick here. Like, yes, I agree. Like from a matchup standpoint, the the desire for the crazy tight quintessential college tennis match. All, mm. If you push all of that to the side. The right choice, and the choice, by the way, that I'm going to make because I don't want to jinx this one, is like Kentucky four one. I think mm-hmm. is 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 probably my pick. Okay, I go I'll, and yeah. I'll and I'll go with a lot of like you know just most of the I'm I don't doubles one yeah doubles one three and I don't I mean four or five that that would be my yeah. That I think it's my ha- choice, and I'm going to say they lose too. I think Henning can beat Ayani in straights, and Ayani plays very fast. So I, I'm saying similar, but I go four two. I think they get Henning at two, and then I think they get probably six. MPP at six. I do think that one of Weeks or Cosne like 
Look, they're in the pit. They're in Georgia. This might be a yeah, little overwhelming. Get, yeah, um, yeah. One of them probably just doesn't show up as yeah. well. Uh, so I think it's 4-2 for Kentucky, who then, look, they're back in the driver's seat for number one seed in the SEC and continuing to look strong uh, moving into postseason yeah. play. And and where is the SEC tournament this year? Because the SEC tournament, it this should be known. The SEC tournament... Uh, it, I'm a conspiracy theorist, and oh, no. I think the SEC rigs the rankings. <laughs> However, one way that they conspiracy theories aside, one advantage that the SEC has over, I'm pretty sure, all of the other conference tournaments mm-hmm. is that they host the conference tournament at a school site. Why does this matter, you ask? Well, uh, let's be uh, other. I mean, other lots of other conferences do that. The Big Ten does that. The Big 12 does that. Does the Big Ten? It? I knew the Big Twelve did it, but the Big Twelve usually does it at not at Ohio State or Michigan, and neither of the like Ohio State and Michigan are the only teams in the last four years that have won a Big Ten tournament, and they've not hosted the Big Ten tournament, so mm. it doesn't matter. But the SEC, in my recollection, it was at Georgia last year. Mm-hmm. It was at the University of Florida the year before. These are powerhouse teams who, if you happen to beat them at home, you get a ten percent win bonus. Okay, yeah. like that. That does have a material effect on the rankings if well you thankfully beat... for you ethan it's at auburn oh <laughs> yeah it's still auburn's still a top 20 team like, yeah like, i know this still yeah it's know, still gonna be a auburn's good still a top 20 team and so there there are a lot of ultimately this is what it comes down to is that the sec has more potential for valuable point wins than any other conference in the in the country because they have more teams ranked in the top 20 than any other conference Yes, the Big 12 has two of the top three teams and the Big 10 has the other two of the top four teams. Like, you know, the those two conferences have those top four teams, but the SEC's diversity and depth of point availability is really, really valuable. And for Kentucky, this is a cement yourself in the top five win. If you beat Georgia on the road, Georgia's the number eight team in the country. Talk about rankings and projecting for NCAAs, which are, we were talking about this earlier, really not far away i mean most teams are looking at four to seven regular season matches left on their schedule like we're we're two or three match weekends away for most of these teams from being done with the regular season so yeah this is a huge you know kentucky's pretty secure they're going to be a top eight seed but this is a huge point opportunity for them if they want to break into that big 10 big 12 little stranglehold you know, at the top little yeah. stranglehold on the top four this isn't a win kentucky needs to get yeah. and and you just talk about wins that would be emblematic of a team's sort of positioning posturing culture whatever going into athens beating a competitive georgia team night match or dusk sunset match yeah. in athens big crowd this, this would be an emblematic sort of you know, feather in your cap win for for Kentucky on their regular season, which, you know, we've we spoke about on the women's side, how Texas A&M, the hardest part of their season sort of behind them for Kentucky, they'll have their rivalry match with Tennessee, but South Carolina's behind them. Georgia will be behind them at the, you know, Mississippi State behind them that, you know, the, the top most competitive teams in the SEC are are behind Kentucky, not in front of them after this match. So this would be a real feather in their cap win if they beat Georgia and it puts them back in the driver's seat to, to win the SEC regular season. So this, this is a big opportunity for Kentucky, even if they need it less quote unquote, than you know, than does Georgia. 
So you talk about breaking hearts for Georgia fans. Liam Draxel does that. I think we do that as well, Ethan. We're, this is a Georgia-centric pod. Oh, we, we did pick against Georgia. Predicting against That's Georgia. That's so in rough. Both. I, that this didn't even rough. occur to me, but yes. Yeah, well. We, we apologize. Hey, Georgia, the thing you personal. get to hang your hat on is I'm wrong most of the time. That's true. Yeah, Ethan jinxes except, these. Except when I picked for Georgia against South Carolina. So I don't know. Maybe I'm right about Georgia. In which case, sorry, Georgia. You're losing <laughs> so twice this weekend. We'll but find just, out. And we will see this weekend that match on Friday night coming up, the women's match on Sunday. Again, let us know your thoughts, your takes, your predictions uh, on Twitter at JTweetsTennis, on Instagram at Noad, no problem. Find Ethan on Twitter at Ethan Moz. With that, Ethan, we will see how our predictions turn out and we will chat again next week. Thanks, everyone.